Good morning. Welcome to the program. Let's begin with a prayer and a scripture led by Father Lewis. Our scripture passage for our show today uh, from Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. A great sign appeared in the sky, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was with child and wailed aloud in pain as she labored to give birth. Then another sign appeared in the sky. It was a huge red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on its heads were seven diadems. Its tail swept away a third of the stars in the sky and hurled them down to the earth. Then the dragon stood before the woman about to give birth, to devour her child when she gave birth. She gave birth to a son, a male child, destined to rule all the nations with an iron rod. Her child was caught up to God in his throne. The woman herself fled into the desert where she had a place prepared by God, that there she might be taken care of for 1260 days. Good and gracious God, through the intercession of Our Lady Guadalupe, our Blessed Mother, we ask your blessings upon us in our conversation today uh, between Tom and myself and between uh, for all of our listeners as well, that all of us may always strive to, uh, to discern your most holy will and to do it in all things, especially as we prepare for the celebration of your son's birth on Christmas through the remainder of our Advent season. All this we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So, Father Lewis, uh, it's uh, it's great to be with you. How's your How's your Advent going? Wonderful so far. Actually, yeah? I've been telling people this might be my best Advent ever. Really? Yeah. Okay. So, though, is this like uh, your best Advent? Like your best Lent, and it's going horribly, but it's actually <laughs> that's a sign that it's going well. No, it's a, it, things are going well, and that's a sign that it's going. So you're well. taking a victory lap. Okay, <laughs> yeah. great. Let's yeah. Let's hear about it. So, first of all, knowing ahead of time, you know that uh, because Christmas falls on a Sunday this year. That therefore we're going to get the full breadth of Advent. That I wanted to make the absolute most of it, and this has only happened I think one other time in my priesthood, and I feel like I really missed out because I was pretty still young at the priest, and that was uh, I think that was nine or ten years ago the last time that happened, and um, and so it just went on by. So I thought, no, I'm going to do it each year since I've tried to make the most of Advent. It's my favorite season. Um, just the uh, the invitation, the opportunity to to slow down and to be at peace in the hopeful and the waiting that is kind of the hallmark of Advent, getting ready and waiting for Christmas, but to be more prayerful and deliberate about it. And most years I fall flat, usually about halfway through, so I'm at that, that stranglehold right now, halfway through, so hopefully I can continue. Um, but this year, you know, making that extra effort because it's the longest Advent, you know, that we can have. And so what I what I did prepare you know preparing way back in November to try to schedule things so that my advent is not as busy as it usually is you know any other time of the year so for example I have 20 folks right now who currently see me for spiritual direction so I asked them can we like not meet during advent just here's your advent assignment and go and do and various parish groups and meetings that we do like our parish council asking them look unless something comes up let's not meet during advent to eliminate those things so that that extra time that I would otherwise be wrapped up in those meetings and such, I can devote to prayer. And um, and particularly with prayer of, you know, with some books and other things, but but really to be more in a contemplative and meditative mood uh, without these distractions of other things to read and such. So it just, it's been going extremely well. I think I've been racking up like 
you know, almost four hours of, of prayer like each of these days in a, in a pretty good day. So that's awesome. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. and, and you pray for your parishioners quite a bit, I'm sure. I do, yeah. Nice. And, yeah. and for your co-hosts on the radio? You pray. Uh, yes, they, I do. Where, where, oh, yeah. where do we appear on that list? Pretty high um, up. And listeners, the, listeners to the radio program? Uh, the listeners made the top 10. Tom, yes. you made the top 25. Ooh. <laughs> okay, well, so if I listen to the program, do I get in there twice? Oh, yes, Is you that do. the way that oh. it works? <laughs> If I come to the parish, listen to the program, and your co-host, oh boy, I'm kind of like You're I'm, up I'm adding it up. I'm pretty much going to be at the top there. Is that the way that prayer works? Is that how? I think so. That Leveling is up, not how we're no. <laughs> uh, so I love that. And is there a, a form of prayer that predominates or is able to get more room in your life because you have more time? Oh, you not you don't have more time. You've made more time. Yeah, I've made more time for I like prayer. That. And. Um, Yes, the the form of prayer is to just, you know, like I mentioned er, uh, earlier, setting down like the spiritual reads and setting down, like I'll pray with the scriptures and such, but I'll devote more time to not just hurrying through, reading through a passage and, and jotting down some notes in my prayer journal, but to really sit more um, more silently in that and to not worry about doing anything, but to just, to just be there with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of my time has uh, really been just like, I think of this story, I think it was the story about John Vianney when he first arrived in ours, that this old parishioner of his, he didn't really know him yet, but would just sit in the church after mass for like an hour and not do anything. And he would sit, and he finally told you know Father Vianney after a while. He said, "I just look at him, and he just looks at me." Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm trying to do that more to just be at peace, resting in the Lord. So there's a a, a wonderful book on you're talking about contemplation, mm-hmm. right? There's a wonderful book on contemplation by Hansers von Balthasar, and it's called Prayer. I don't know if you are you familiar with that book. Uh, yes, I think I read okay. it back in seminary. I don't have my own copy anymore. I don't know. I think I lent it out and it's yeah. gone. <laughs> I, 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 my problem is, is I, I get it. I, I lend it out. I get another one. I lend it out. I bought another one for someone and gave it to them recently. Before I did, I read a few pages again. <laughs> it's an amazing book. In fact, it almost takes a lifetime to get through. But the entire book, even though it's called Prayer, is on contemplation. So I, I know that you're not like, you're putting down books, but this book is amazing, yeah. amazing to help foster a deeper understanding of contemplative prayer. Yeah, I'll need to find my old copy again and snag it back, or just yeah. give up the ghost and buy a new one. <laughs> well, the uh, um, I got a text from someone today saying, "Hey, I'm looking for some resources for Advent on prayer and fasting. What do you recommend?" So, how do you want to answer that person? Because I, I, I'm not yeah. going to rec- I, I was actually going to give her a call and say. What kind of prayer? Sure, right? Because yeah. there are so many books on prayer. There are, yeah. Um, well, one thing I think you know. So at my, I'm a parish of Saint Mary. As you know, we we're kind of going through this uh, year of healing, and and part of that is each kind of month uh, looking at a different aspect of sufferings for me to endure and healings attached to that, and recommended um, resources on form.org, recommended reading along with that. And this month actually is a book called. The Essence of Prayer by Sister Ruth Burroughs. I think it's a fairly popular book. It was recommended to me by, uh, a couple years ago by my spiritual director. And um, I remember it having a remarkable impact on me. I haven't read it in probably five years or so by now, but but I've recommended that. Uh, probably more of a kind of a primer of prayer, not mm-hmm. so much on... I think there's contemplation in it, but but I don't recall there being much discussion on fasting, so I don't, uh, I can't think of a, a resource on that so much, except to just you know to just do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was gonna, uh, uh, I was gonna Father Jacques 
Philippe. Philippe yeah. He has several books, right? Searching for and Maintaining Peace is one, and that goes through a lot of the basics of prayer. And then there's, a, I think, another one, like Thirsting for Prayer, is even, I think, even more just focused on prayer itself. And it's also just amazing, amazing book. Kerry keeps taking it from me, though. That's the problem. <laughs> Yeah, a deeper book of his is Interior Freedom. Okay. Um, in fact, we I had a chance to interview him, Carrie oh, and really? I. Yeah, how about that? That's awesome. Yeah, he was uh, he came to the West Side. Um, he and here's this is kind of crazy, right? So he's from a community in France, mm-hmm. and um, this woman just reached out to him from the you know Western Washington and said, "Father, would you come here and speak at our parish?" And he said, "Yes." Mm-hmm. And he just showed up. And I said, oh, well, when he lands at the airport, can he come to my studio? And I'd love to interview him. And so Carrie and I got a chance to meet him and interview him. And it was a fascinating story. And this actually leads into uh, St. Juan Diego, by the way. Okay. This is going someplace. Yeah. He, um, his books were, do you know his books weren't, uh, almost any of them did not begin in written form. They almost all of them are talks he gave okay. at retreats and conferences, and they were recorded, transcribed, and then edited, and then published. Okay. And so he did not intend to be a writer. He didn't intend to have this worldwide audience. He just was writing talks and giving them, uh, giving these conferences and talks uh, in France to his own community, and and the Lord did it. The Lord took his faithfulness and ended up translating it into a language that reached the whole world. And he's he's an older guy, mm-hmm. and he's just he was just like I I don't know. You know? <laughs> it's yeah. like the Holy Spirit was his marketing manager, yeah. and um, it was a beautiful thing. It's mm-hmm. a beautiful thing. In fact, we uh, just as a uh, as a kind of a neat thing, we reposted the interview with him. That we did, I don't, it was probably six years ago, five or six years ago, and so, folks, if you want to watch that interview, you can go to uh, our YouTube page. I just go to mycatholicfaith.org. Just go there, and you can get to the YouTube page or to the the um, Facebook page. You can also sign up for the newsletter because we put it in the newsletter that we have that goes out, email letter that goes out uh, every week and posts different talks that I, that that I've done. And this interview was a was kind of a neat one. That's awesome. So yeah, I got to meet Father Jacques Philippe. <laughs> Flexing that, yeah. On fasting, have you ever read anything by Father Richard? Not Father Richard Force, uh, Richard Foster. He's a no. Quaker. Oh, really? Yeah, and he has um, a couple of amazing books. He has a book on um, simplicity, and then he has a book called The Celebration of Discipline. Oh, wow! And he goes through the different disciplines of a disciple. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he's a Quaker, it, it reads so Catholic. Okay. It's so Catholic. And he has a chapter in there on fasting, and he tracks through in kind of journal form what it was like for him to fast for 40 days. Oh, wow. Actually, for 40, 40 days yeah. of real, like, rigorous fasting. Oh, wow. And, you know, during days 17 to 22, you can expect this to happen. And he starts, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, every time I reached day 17, that was exactly what happened to me. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, More so, like minute seventeen. <laughs> yeah, but if you haven't yeah. discovered uh, Rich, uh, Richard Foster, okay, amazing, okay, just really very profound stuff. And so I'm trying to think of, and I, I'm trying to think of other b- books on fasting directly, right? Yeah, I can't think of any either. Yeah, not not a lot. Probably because um, not me, not enough of us do it to write about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
So It'd be interesting I, to have a book like that. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote the book A Grief Observed, where mm-hmm. he's like recording what his grief was like as he's mourning the death of his wife. And sounds like this chapter was kind of like that, but maybe a whole book kind of on that. You yep. know, the physical things going on, um, how it's affecting maybe your emotional mood and certainly your spirituality, and also perceiving how you're maybe growing. And well, and what happens in your body? Yeah, like your body will start to do this and mm-hmm. start to do that. Yeah, and that's become a real popular thing these days. You know these. 30-day cleanses. Are you familiar with that? I am. You drink water only. That's, I, I think I don't know like how people survive. Yeah, uh, they must take vitamins. They can't just drink water. Yeah, yeah I think you'd, you'd, you'd fall over and die, yeah. right? So, <laughs> but um, this actually reminds me of um, uh, Saint Juan Diego. Uh, today we are recording this on Friday, his feast day, and then you're listening to the program on Monday on the feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And so uh, I'll get back to you later, Father, and ask you more <laughs> questions. But I, I think that there is some really beautiful uh, themes associated with the spiritual life that manifest themselves in the life of St. Juan Diego. And I think one of them is a little bit like Father Jacques Philippe. He was a reluctant witness. Mm-hmm. He didn't intend to be asked to travel around the world. It, it, God brought it to him. So I say that St. Juan Diego is a reluctant witness. Is that overstating the case? It might be understating it. I mean, he tried to go around that mountain and away from her. <laughs> well, for folks who don't know the story, give a little bit of background, if you don't mind. Yeah, into... so he's, I mean, he's living in one town, but he's got to work over at this other town. He has to go around this hill called Tapayak. I think I'm pronouncing correct. And that's on this day, December 9th, is when Our Lady appeared to him. And he's spooked right out, as Bernadette was, and the shepherd children were, and so on. And she gives him the message to, you know, you know, I'm here to comfort, you know, my beloved children here, you know, speaking about the Aztec people. And she appeared as an Aztec woman. And um, I think it was in the first appearance, too. She said, I, I want a chapel built here in my honor for the, you know, for the spreading of the gospel. Well, he tried and the bishop didn't believe him, so he went back home. And the second day, no dice either. Same message. Third day, he... Uh, he could not be detained by Our Lady, I think he actually says. I could not be detained by her. His uncle was dying, and he was on his way rushing to get a doctor or something like this. And so he went around the hill so he wouldn't be detained by Our Lady. Well, she appeared to him on the other side of the hill and slowed him down and assured him that even now your, your uncle is fine. Um, so anyway, yeah, he was, you know, he's like, the bishop doesn't believe me. Send someone else. I'm just this lowly poor guy. And um, and he actually tried to avoid her at one point. Yeah, and she interrupted him, yeah. right? She met him. You, you circle around, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, get back up there. Yeah. That's where we want that built. And um, the amazing story is what happens then um, in terms of how the Lord um, corresponds the witness of the gospel to the people who are receiving it. And there's some powerful, like supernatural signs that, for instance, aided St. Juan Diego when he reached the bishop, a specific sign that God used to help him reach the bishop, and then some beautiful ways in which the Blessed Mother was presented to the people of that time and place that also spoke to them. What it is we're talking about, we'll discover in just a minute on Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that 
as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Carnan with Father Jeff Lewis. So, Father Lewis, I gave you a little bit of time there. When we <laughs> timed this break. I made a claim that the Lord moved in supernatural ways to equip the reluctant witness, St. Juan Diego, to be able to break through the human barrier that he was facing when it came time to have him bring the message of our Blessed Mother to the bishop. Mm -hmm. Do you remember what that sign was? Yeah, it was the Castilian roses that were suddenly growing there on the top of the hill. And uh, people are like, well, what is, what's the big deal about that? Well, several several things you got to keep in mind. This was December 9th, or this was December 12th. Now, in outside Mexico City, which is considerably further south from us, but higher elevation. So who knows, but they had as much snow then on their mountain as we have looking out the window just right now. So that's one. Two, of course, as we know, roses don't grow in the winter. So that was a remarkable sign. And three, these were Castilian roses, as in Spain. They are not native to Mexico. They were maybe brought there, but they wouldn't be found in the middle of this nowhere on the top of this hill. And so they were a unique kind of rose that maybe Juan Diego didn't recognize what they were, but who he was bringing them to would know who they were, because why? They were Spanish missionaries, so they were from Spain. And the bishop was one of those Spanish missionaries that now is, now is the bishop of Mexico City. So that was the first sign. But it's interesting, when he presented them to them, he collected them in his tilma, he let them go, because they said, show me a sign and, and I'll know the authenticity of, of this, you know, this appearance that you're describing, the bishop says to him. So he drops the roses, and he thinks that's the sign. And they're not looking at the roses. They're looking at his tilma, which had previously been white like a bedsheet and now has this very detailed, beautiful image of a mysterious-looking woman, and that's Our Lady of Guadalupe. Yeah. yeah. It, so I love that. And it's one of those things where uh, a message for us, do we trust that if we obey— what the Lord is asking us to do, to be his witness, to bring his message, that he will clear the path. Mm -hmm. He will prepare the way so that those who have to receive or whom he's intending to receive the gospel will get what they need to be able to be open to hear the good news. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, that's something that maybe we don't appreciate so much, that yeah. um, that. There are ways in which the Lord will do the adapting. We don't have to try so hard to adapt the gospel to the people who are going to hear it, but the Lord will do it. Yeah. He will do it in his way. And we don't have to, like, Juan Diego didn't say, hey, I've got an idea, Lord. Mm -hmm. This bishop is from, you know, from Castilla in Spain. Let's, let's get some Castilian roses here. Uh, no, it was the Lord who knew exactly what would speak to the mind and heart of the bishop. Yeah. Is that something that when you think about the work of making disciples, so whether it's uh, pre-evangelization, evangelization, catechesis, uh, apologetics, there are there's a lot of effort that goes into recognizing that people are where they are at. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we ought to pay attention to. Um, and yet at the same time, 
look to the Lord and trust that He is, He's got things in His hands, yeah. and and He will equip us with what we need. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> the uh, the prime example I can think of, and this is in my life and ministry, is when I when I give a homily, I might think that I have emphasized, you know, point A. And what people might comment on as they're leaving is, thank you so much, I, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And it might have been some sidebar thing I mentioned and they picked up on point B. Or even funnier is, I made no mention of A or B and what they, I made mention of A or B and they picked up on like point Z. So they heard something in the, in the machinations of whatever verbiage I put out there and that's what spoke to them. And it's like, well, that's not me clearly because I literally did not say that, <laughs> but the Lord did somehow to that person's heart and soul. And uh, that's where I see a lot of that actually is, is um, you know, the Lord is clearing that path so that they are receiving what they need to, to take that next step forward in faith. And all I had, you know, I had nothing to do with that. I just preached this homily and they heard that instead but it brought them closer to the Lord, and thanks be to God, you know. Well, and let's take a look at part part B uh-huh. of the of this miracle of manifestation in a way that people could receive, which was the tilma for the Aztecs and the Mayans mm-hmm. who were there to receive this holy image when it was made public. Yeah. Um, do you remember any of the elements about the the way the tilma spoke to them? So, like I mentioned, she she had the appearance, I guess, uh, you know, in her face and so on, of an Aztec woman. Um, I guess in terms of her hairdress and the tone of her skin. Obviously, Mary was Jewish, so she wasn't Aztec, but uh, she would find a way to appear to them in a way that they can relate. And then, I you know, her her dress, I guess, her gown was was somewhat um, um, distinctive of the Aztecs, but also a distinctive feature is the black belt that she wore around her around her waist. You can see the bow of it as she's holding her hands folded like in prayer. And that was what Aztec women would wear when they were with child to show outside that, you know, stay away and be careful around me because I'm, I'm plus one now, you know, <laughs> and, um, cause you know, women can, you know, sometimes don't show their pregnancy for, for many months, but, but they know inside. And so they have that outward sign. So there was that as well. Um, yeah, those were some of the features. And then, uh, do you remember what uh, the? Um, this isn't like a, a trivia qu- a cri- trivia test here, but the way in which she's blocking out the sun and standing on the moon, mm-hmm. right? And there's the the demonic figure at the bottom uh, that uh, are references to the local gods. Oh yeah, that were being overcome, mm-hmm. right? Were being overcome by Our Lady of Guadalupe and by her son. Yeah. So there's a way in which. It, it she wasn't even the center of the focus. It was the one she was carrying. Yes. Right. It was about Jesus that she was bearing within her, yeah. and uh, and the Lord is the one who's going to overcome these demonic forces that were prominent at the time that were devastating the lives of the of the Aztecs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the slaughter of hundreds of thousands and probably millions of Aztecs by the Mayans um, through their just terrible slaughter uh, in their sort of pyramid structures, right? And so uh, I think of that in relationship to today. I think of it specifically that when we see so many young people giving up on God, Mm. giving up on faith, and pursuing forms of uh, fulfillment that are proposed to them, that are just lies and traps. They're demonic lies and traps mm-hmm. in the end. 
because they're proposing a false idea and a false identity. And they're leading so many young people into anxiety, depression, self-harm, self-hatred, disgust with life and with their lives. And what is needed is a fresh, courageous proclamation of Christ Mm -hmm. in a way that says, look, what you're seeking has already been overcome. And it's the child in, in the womb of the Blessed Mother that is over, has overcome this mm-hmm. one. And are you open to hearing that, that good news? Yeah. I wonder if, if this, is, this is one of those times where we ought to have more confidence in the gospel and the power of the gospel to be able to overcome, let's call them false narratives, false presentations of what really sets people free. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I can't remember who said it, but someone recently, uh, or maybe it was a quote of an earlier writer or saint, but fundamentally, the human person, you know, the human creature is a, is a religious creature. And, you know, there's atheists that say, well, that's not true. This is a construct of, you know, whatever. But it is true because if we don't put our devotion to God, we're going to put our devotion into something. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's a hilarious Babylon Bee article I'd read one time where someone is mocking religion. At the same time, we'll get all dressed up and go with a bunch of other people to go through these rituals. And what he's doing, he's going to an NFL game. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a false religion. So if we can recognize that truth in ourselves and just acknowledge it, then then for me, it would seem like, okay, so what is going... I can't escape that. That's a part of my nature. It's written in my. It's probably literally written in my DNA. So, what is going to be life affirming and life giving for me? Is it follow, following these false things that are in, in the end empty and shallow and, and meaningless and, and evil um, in the end, or am I going to follow God? You know, and set my pride aside. Like, okay, I'm a religious person. Um, you know, I think that's a that's one hurdle is to try to help people to recognize that you're going to give your devotion to something, whether it's God or all caps science or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to to recognize that that you can't escape that aspect of human nature. Yeah, I think of something that happened. I think it's now happened twice, and it's related to Twitter. Hmm. We're not. This isn't a political show and all that. But have you followed at all, Elon Musk? So Every he, now and again, yeah. So he bought Twitter, yeah. right? So now he's the guy in charge. Mm-hmm. And he did this big dump of like internal emails. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, or internal communications, right? Maybe emails and text chats, whatever. And it had to do with, uh, like, a, in the last week, like the first dump had to do with the Hunter Biden laptop. Oh, sure. And yeah. it wasn't so much about the laptop itself, it was more about the way that the platform was influenced and became an influencer over the narrative, over the message that was going to get through versus the message that was going to be blocked. And it, it was it was very distressing mm-hmm. right to see the way in which the government and agencies of the government were using social media and pressuring them and then internally they were absolutely going along with it mm-hmm. to advance one narrative in a way that was going to obscure the truth yeah. and then uh, just I think it was earlier today uh, or maybe yesterday one or the other um, there was a second dump that mm-hmm. was connected to um, other narratives and messages that were going to be um, either canceled, like people's uh, profiles that were going to be canceled or made more difficult to be found, mm-hmm. so they were more hidden. 
and their messages were not going to be distributed, so they weren't going to be able to trend. And again, it was in this time, it was, I think, mostly around COVID and messages oh, connected to okay. COVID. And so the, you know, the question becomes, when we have uh, the organs of communication that are saying, this is what is real, this is what is false, this is what ought to be promoted, and this is what ought to be set aside, we, as followers of Christ, we who are Catholics who happen to be American, Catholics who happen to be alive on earth right now, it becomes really critically important to be able to say, where am I drawing the, the, the sources that are going to shape and mold how I see life, how I relate to life, and how I behave in life? Mm-hmm. And recognize that there are uh, mainstream sources of, informa- of communication that are not going to help you. They are going to hurt you and harm you in living your faith. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Well, the first thought is, um, you know, when when we put so much of our um, our emphasis and and um, and time and, and hopes that we're going to find some truth in, in these these man made things, I think this is just this is just proof that it's going to. It's going to frustrate us, and it's going to it's going to prove false at some point. I mean, we're just prone to fall. That's the to fail. That's the the effect of the fall. You know, we got to see all these things. Okay, I'm going to take this with a grain of salt because I need to see how does it affect my walk with the Lord, and how does my walk with the Lord help me to see what's really going on here? Uh, but I think, and another thought too is that this sad episode, as you're describing it. That in so many in the minds of so many, this will foster this general hermeneutic of suspicion, where I, everything in my worldview I got to just look at with suspicion, and that will trickle down into how am I going to relate with religious authority, the authority of the Bible itself? Can I really believe that the Bible is true? Can I believe that what the Pope says, what my bishop says, what my priest says is true? How can I trust them? Because I don't know what to trust anymore. And that's really sad, too, because it can make someone just become so insular that I'm not even sure I can believe what I think I believe, what I'm telling myself. What, um, and, and we can go into a really dark hole in that, in that way. And no wonder it leads to depression, anxiety, temptations to self-harm, because, because if you don't have an anchor, if you don't have a rock, and if, especially if that anchor in that rock is not Jesus Christ and his church, then we're just, we're just adrift. And... And um, anyway, I mean, I know this is just Twitter, but I can, given how popular it is, I, I can see how, you know, the, the end result of that, it can lead people down a dark, a dark path um, unless they re-up their confidence that if there's one thing I know for sure, it's that God is real and that God created me and God loves me. I'll just focus on that and take these other things, whoops, and try to interpret them as, you know, it, it, against that. Yeah, it... I think one of the things that it's a challenge is um, a little bit of self-reflection around how much am I giving time, energy, and attention to uh, the internet, mm-hmm. the smartphone, yeah. and uh, just uh, taking in content um, from from media. And it's something that is it's addictive, and it's dis- it it's disturbing. Mm-hmm. Just at at a physiological level, it disturbs that sense of 
what you're talking about, you're doing this Advent, which is how do I be peaceful? How do I be present? How do I be contemplative in my approach to life? Uh, it's interesting. I uh, On Friday, Carrie and I did a program on uh, life skills, 16 life skills for your kids to have before they leave the house. And we had we we wanted to come up, we were reading an article, mm-hmm. and we wanted to come up with our own list. So I want you to think about that. If there's a life skill that you would want um, kids to have before they went off to college, like what would be a life skill? Like one of them was not a cook, right? Yeah. Just to give you a sense. Yeah. That wasn't on quickly on my list, but yeah, it made it made great sense. My first one was learn how to be present. Mm. which is a contemplative attitude. So there you go. All right, we're up against a break. Back in a minute with more Sun Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran, and it's great to be with you all. Uh, Father Lewis, during the break, you were mentioning that uh, our discussion today, it's on the Feast of Our Lady Guadalupe, brought to mind a book club book that we discussed. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was about a year ago or a little more, and it was a, a book called um, Our Lady Guadalupe and the Conquest of Darkness. I think you looked it up, and the author is Warren Carroll. And Father Nagel and I uh, read that with with, uh, with you, Tom, and, and then on a program we discussed it. So it's a sh- short book. Um, I can't remember how how long, maybe a little more than 100 pages, I think was all, but um, but told a very historical narrative, you know, story of Cortez and, and his uh, group landing on the shores of Mexico and encountering the Aztec Empire, and the horrors that they found and all the human sacrifice and everything, and and um, and and what they did to to suppress that, and and um, I, I I liked it because. Um, Chiefly because so much of the book was based on primary sources. I mean, there were act- other guys who were there on that expedition writing letters and extensive letters from their perspective of what they saw and what they did to respond. And and so, you know, it's not removed by any kind of measure of time. It's like real time. So depending on, on what our read of Cortez was growing up in, in, in school, he was the ultimate villain or he was the chief hero or whatever, but... It was just an aspect, and and then he had Franciscan missionaries with him to bring the gospel to the new world, and um, anyway, so yeah, it was. I'm just thinking about that as we're talking about Our Lady Guadalupe. That my appreciation for this time and this feast and these saints, you know, Saint Juan Diego as well, has really uh, been enriched. I think by by encountering that book, amazing book. Yeah, uh, I th- I think I was most struck by the the courage of Cortez and his men. Yeah, you remember there were like 500 of them taking on like 100,000 or yeah. 30,000, some incredible numbers. And after they got soundly defeated at one point, what did they do? They went back right in the next day, yeah. and they, let's keep going, let's mm-hmm. battle some more, and miraculously, supernaturally, would win the victory. Yeah. I saw, this is kind of coming back to that whole idea of the narrative, yeah. is uh, I saw a, a short video by Malcolm Gladwell. Um, so he wrote Outliers and... Um, a number of other books, yeah. a tipping point. Mm-hmm. And uh, he referenced Cortez and talked about how C- Cortez, the bad guy, comes in and sees this incredible display. And I, I might have mixed up the Mayans and the Aztecs. Did I do that in I, earlier? I think so. I Aztecs think I, were the more warlike ones. Okay, so the yeah. Aztecs were slaughtering the Mayans. Yeah. And so he comes in and he talks about seeing this incredible, like, developed civilization and then they came in and destroyed it. Yeah. And I'm like, you're missing 
uh, something like the slaughter of hundreds of thousands of Mayans yeah. in, in your little narrative here. Yeah. But it was funny because here's a guy who's a sociologist and someone who is known for, you know, very interesting research as the basis of his insights. And yet he got this one so fundamentally wrong when there was a book as simple as this that had these primary sources and accessing journals from actual people that were there. And it's like he was completely blind to it. Yeah completely blind to it or chose to be yeah. blind to it and missing out on the real thread that should have been followed. Right. So uh, very unfortunate. But it, what does that come back around to? Be careful to whom you open your mind. Be careful to whom you're going to entrust your mind and your heart yeah. when it comes to these types of, these types of things. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, so just before the break, Father, I was talking about life skills. Yeah. Right? Life skills. And uh, 16 of them, uh, I mentioned uh, one of them was knowing how to cook, yeah. right? But mine was learning how to be present. And I, my own si- insight is, my own sense is that smartphones and media, especially, but especially smartphones, have made us so addicted to the digital world that we don't know how to be present in the real world. Mm-hmm. So I know that it sounds like a very obscure kind of highfalutin uh, uh, idea that that's a life skill that needs to be developed. But uh, Carrie thought, she's like, come on, land the plane, man. Let's go back to learning how to cook and manage your money and manage time. And right? do your laundry. Do your laundry. <laughs> right. Those were th- that was another one. Yeah. Learn how to do laundry. And, but I'm like, yeah, but if you don't know how to be present, you, you'll just be caught up in a machine. Yeah. So that- well, and there's there's a practical danger involved too. Do you remember that strange phenomenon? I think this was four or five years ago, and especially in the summer, uh, Pokemon Go. Remember that game? Oh yeah. And everyone's on their smartphone and they're they're doing something with it, and they're it's an it's a it's a creative idea, and I think ultimately dangerous. I'm glad it's a fad that passed, but you're walking around the real real world because you're looking for these Pokemon monsters or whatever, and you're somehow. In, so so it's like it shows the world through the phone, but there's a graphic in it that shows this character you're supposed to do whatever with. And and people are focused on the phone, and they don't see the car that's about to hit them. They don't see the, the rail on the deck that they're about to fall over because they're going after this make-believe thing on in the digital world. And so it was really blending of the real world where real things happen in this fake digital world. And um, I remember that very well because... Um, I was a pastor up in Chuila at this time, and uh, I don't know this game at all, really, except that basic function, but also that there's certain, the game designers, they, you know, it's all over the world, they would choose certain locations that, are, that were like bases of bigger bosses or something like that. So you'd get all these people coming over to do this game. And I would look outside uh, my church, and, um, and I got preschool kids right next door, and there's all these people in vans with their phones up like this, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, they could be playing that game, or they could be like child predators. I don't know. <laughs> but I found out that our church was made this base by this company, and you can actually, uh, you know, uh, contact them and say, remove us from your game, and they will do it. But it was just so weird. And uh, anyway, so it was a, a melding of the real and the, and the fake and and people were losing how to be present in the real world through this simple ridiculous game. <laughs> so I 
here's a lasting memory. I might have, sh- I know I've shared this before on Sound Insight, but it goes back almost 10 years now. So Pope Francis becomes Pope. And during one of his visits to some place, he's driving, he's being driven in a car. And they just show him going down this stretch of like backcountry road. And there's a tiny group of people at like just some kind of side road, just standing there waiting for the Pope's car to come by. Well, the Pope actually tells the driver, pull over. And he gets out of the car. And there's a group of maybe, I don't know, just five people there. Well, one of the ladies, she's, I don't know, maybe, let's say she's a 40-year-old mom. What does she do? She takes out her phone and she starts videotaping. She's up and she has the phone standing up between her face and the Pope. And so she's like, like all excited, but she's looking not at the Pope. She's looking at her phone. Yeah. She's looking at her screen. And that's how she's encountering the Pope. Yeah. She's encountering the Pope through the experience of looking at him and making sure it was captured on the screen. Yeah. Now, how just terrible yeah. is that? Like you miss the moment. You, mm-hmm. I don't, you didn't miss it, but you like had such a technologically obscured encounter with the Pope. He wanted to meet you. Mm-hmm. And what did he do? He met you with your screen between you. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? It is. And uh, yeah, if you know, maybe if I were the Pope, I'd be like, oh, come on, put your phone down. I want to see you. Right. You know, and, right. and say something. I mean, to if that you effect. want to do at least do a selfie, like, yeah, do a selfie. Go yeah. alongside the Pope and kind of do it that way. But yeah. I mean, if you really, really need to do that, or yeah. give it to someone else and just say, look, take a video yeah. of us. But yeah. you want to actually encounter the Pope, right? Yeah, uh, you know, I've, I've, as a, you know, I've gone on these pilgrimage and th- uh, pilgrimages and such, and we go to these great, beautiful buildings and churches and and sites of our Catholic history. And for the Catholic pilgrim, it's really a temptation to not just succumb to being merely a tourist, and then at the same time we're surrounded by tourists. And I see them, I observe them, like they, that they're literally that's all they're doing. They're like taking a video or taking a picture, and then they move on, and they don't stop to immerse themselves and actually look at you know, the Pieta, or look at the Last Judgment in the Sistine Chapel, or look at anything. They just want the pictures, pictures, pictures. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, you can buy a postcard that's a way better picture than the one you just took, A. Yep. And B, what are the, you know, what did you gain from that? You know, yeah, it's weird. So, okay, Vatican Museum story. All right, so yeah, have you been to the Vatican Museums? Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, it's, it's enormous with yeah. all these different wings and these different levels of, at least when I was living there yeah. in the late 80s, you had like A, B, C, and D, right? And tour A is going to be three hours long, and it's going to take you through all of the different sub-museums, mm-hmm. right? Well, one of the things that guys that were there, I was at the North American College, and one of the guys they would say is, get there early, yeah. get first one in line, and take the shortest route possible and just literally walk as fast as you can to get to the last thing that you encounter in the Vatican Museums, which is the Sistine, the Chapel. Sistine Chapel. And the point is, get there first. Yeah. Get there first, lie on the ground, and just take in the experience of the ceiling of the mm. Sistine Chapel. Stand and just gaze upon the back wall, right, of the, the, the judgment scene, right? And it, you'll have a like a an unforgettable encounter because you'll be there with just a couple of guards. Yeah. And so I can remember guys telling me that. Yeah. We're up against a break. We'll be back in a minute with more sound and sound. 
Welcome back to the program. Father, you were chomping at the bit, ready to say something. <laughs> but before you do, yeah. folks, if you're listening to the program, tomorrow is a special day on Sacred Heart Radio. Tomorrow is a day where we do a one-day pledge drive. It's a one-day opportunity for folks, if you're blessed by Sacred Heart Radio, if you believe in the mission that we have to advance the Catholic faith here in the state of Washington and beyond, or if you have the financial means to do so and you're discerning, God, how am I supposed to be a steward of the wealth you've given to me as we approach the end of the year, tomorrow's your day. Tomorrow's your chance to come in and make a phone call to make a pledge of financial support to Sacred Heart Radio. If you're blessed by Sound Insight, if you're blessed by the other programs that you hear on Sacred Heart Radio, on one day in the fall, uh, as we approach the end of the year, if there's a need, so if there wasn't a need, Sacred Heart Radio wouldn't be doing it, but there is a need. So if you can help fill that gap to close that gap in the budget of Sacred Heart Radio, please be tuning in tomorrow. Now I'm going to be on with Ron, from 7.30 until 9, and then again in the afternoon from like 2 to 3, um, to, or 1.30 to 3 or 2 to 3, to, uh, again, give some sound insight, uh, to be uh, sharing the way I normally do. But it's going to be a little bit different. You're going to have a chance to make a call and a pledge of financial support. Father, do you support that idea? I very much support it. <laughs> Excellent. So uh, please tune in tomorrow for that one-day share that one-day uh, and uh, if you can, be a blessing to Sacred Heart Radio. All right, Father, I was just talking about the experience of the Sistine Chapel when there are as few people as possible to get that most direct, rich experience of an encounter. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say that one of um, one of our priests here in Spokane, he also studied at the NAC and was ordained in um, 2006 or seven, I think, and uh, he told us that he he would do that too. And uh, he would get there like, you got to get there at like 4 a.m. or whatever to make sure you're at the head of the line. And he would b- just book it through everything to get to Sistine Chapel. And he knew he had at least 45 minutes or a solid hour of just pure silence to just pray with everything that's in there. And then the people would catch up. And, and I said, oh, man, that's a great way to do that. And uh, I haven't had a chance to do that yet because I've only been in Rome a See, he didn't times. make it up. You see, he yeah. didn't. He, yeah, it was Tom didn't make it up. On. It's real. It was <laughs> hidden on. See, yeah. He hope he doesn't claim that as his own. No, no, no. So, he probably, it's I'm just teasing. On. I'm just teasing. <laughs> I didn't make it up. Yeah, but, you know, one of the things that I would do is that um, I would, going through the museum, realize my mind is going to get dizzy trying to take in everything. So I would um, only, I would like not even look at certain sections and just get to sections that I wanted to really attend to. And then just be present in those sections and then be done and walk out at yeah. the end. Yeah. And so kind of holding in reserve our capacity to focus. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that folks don't realize as much, that the capacity to be present, the capacity to attend is is like, by analogy, it's like learning to run. Yeah. You build up that lung capacity. You build up that bodily strength. You, it, it, that body is able, my body memory is saying, I know how to do this and I can do this. Yeah. The same is true with our ability to be present. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that we don't appreciate that as much and we just think, oh, we can just keep taking stuff in. And to, to the point, taking in media diminishes that capacity yeah. it diminishes the capacity to be present yeah and and what does what practically does that look like to to truly try to be present in the moment 
one thing that I try to do uh, and be mindful of is is to truly listen to the person that with whom I'm speaking. Um, and so when they're speaking, to not try to be thinking in my mind, okay, here's what I'm going to say next when it's when there's a break in the action, but to take in what they're sharing, to look them in the eye. I mean, these simple things that I'm sure we all know, but we just cease to do. And to, um, uh, and so, you know, I'm, I'm doing something practical to be present to the person. And um, there's a book that I did read in seminary called The Good Listener. It was part of our, uh, we had a, a class on pastoral listening, pastoral counseling, rather. And um, I still recommend that book, especially to husbands who, uh, who whose wives may complain to me that my husband doesn't listen to me. So I say, you need to read this book. And um, Did Carrie tell you to bring this up today? No, that- no, she didn't. She might have texted <laughs> me, but she didn't say anything. Um, but anyway, it's uh, you know just that simple, good listening skill. And, and if I'm in the position of like pastoral counseling where it's not a conversation, I'm trying to help them to, to unpack whatever's going on. Then I'm responding. You know, this is we're taught this, but we forget it. But you know, if they end on, you know, they're going on and they 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 say A, then B, then C, then I'm going to ask a question to follow up with C. So my question is like C prime, and then that primes them to keep going, and I'm just tracking right where they are, or I'm I'm if I'm hearing you correct, and then rephrase what they say. I mean, these basic skills that we do learn, or at least I learned at some point, but we don't practice, and so we forget it. Mm-hmm. It's like a spiritual muscle. If you don't exercise, it just atrophies. Yeah. I like that. I not, I've not heard that book before. Heard of that book before? Yeah. The, the good listener. Uh, um, yeah, the good listener, and, and the author's name is her last name is like O'Sullivan or something. See, and it's I a was very listening. Small book. See, I was listening. You were. See, the, the good listener. I wasn't thinking in my own mind of what am I going to say to you next. That's good. That was one of the sixteen skills. Mm-hmm. It was, but it was something like uh, learn to talk to a stranger. Oh wow! Yeah, and and it wasn't like. How do you ward off weird people? But rather, how do you talk to uh, a coach? How do you talk to a teacher? How do you talk to your boss? How yeah. do you talk to someone that is serving you at a grocery store or at a restaurant? Yeah. Like, just how do you have those kind of conversations? And it's one of those things where we think that these things all just naturally grow in people. No, you you need to be trained. Yeah. You need to be taught. Mm-hmm. And so it's uh, it, you know it's just one of those things where you say. Yeah, uh, this is part of being a parent, right? Mm-hmm. So this is, sorry, Father, this is, you know, but my kids are not always going to be respectful and look you in the eyes what? and do all that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we, we, they, we're trying. We're working on it, but it takes a real effort. I know that your kids don't always look me in the eye, but I also realize that I'm three times the size of all of them. So <laughs> that can be intimidating, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Father Lewis, you're many things, okay? <laughs> intimidating does not go very high on the list. Okay, good. I guess you can be if you want, but you're... you're um, you're more of a jolly old soul. There, right? we there we go. In the spirit of Advent. <laughs> Speaking of Advent, Father, yesterday was Pink Candle Sunday. Isn't that the official name of it? Pink Candle Sunday? Is no, that right? No. Rose Candle Sunday. <laughs> you know, men wear rose. <laughs> mm-hmm. No. Uh, Leitare Sunday. Le, le, no. Gaudete Sunday. Leitare is Lent. That's how mm-hmm. you can remember. Um, Gaudete Sunday or Rejoice Sunday. Yeah. So the candle is pink, you know. It's a sign that we're halfway through this kind of penitential season of Advent. We're almost to the season of joy and fullness of glorious celebration. And and um, it's a similar function as a Laetare Sunday in Lent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and the spirituality for me of Gaudete Sunday is a really big deal. Because it's saying rejoice. He's coming. Mm-hmm. Now, normally, you rejoice when he arrives. Yeah. Like because he has come, 
now we rejoice, mm-hmm. right? It's like you're rejoicing when Tom Brady leads now the Tampa Bay Buccaneers yeah. for the two-minute, you know, in the last, in the two-minute warning, he's going to lead them for a final drive and score a touchdown and win the game. You rejoice when he scores. Yeah. But uh, Gaudete Sunday is you rejoice he's on the field. Yeah. He has not driven down yet, but you are so confident that – but Jesus is more likely to come than <laughs> Tom Brady is to – Tom Brady's not always going to yeah. lead them on that successful <laughs> drive. But um, I think that spiritually that is such an important part of hope mm-hmm. that we don't always um, appreciate it. Yeah. We, we think of hope as more buckle up, close your eyes, cling on tight – and just, I hope, I hope, I hope. Yeah, just wait it out. Just wait it out, suffer through it, and and just just don't look because, you know, it might not happen, but don't don't say that. It, it's going to happen. No, this is saying, no, rejoice. Act now. Act actually right now with that same spirit of rejoicing that says, he's here. Mm-hmm. He's here because I know he's coming. Mm-hmm. And my knowing is so confident that... There's no doubt. There's no doubt in my mind. And so I can act now like when he does come. Yeah. And that is, it, it's a, that's a mystery. Yeah. But, you know, when I was in seminary in 2008 in Washington, D.C., that was the same spring that Pope Benedict made his apostolic journey to the United States. And he started in D.C. and went to New York. And when that was announced, then the, the excitement and the, and the celebration kind of began then because as you describe we know he's coming but even then there was a buzz in the house there was a buzz all over campus that the pope is coming the pope is coming and it would kind of unfold in steps he made a video message for us and we all received it and it was it was live (laughs) so who knows how early it was in the morning for him but late for us and um and then when he came like like the, the celebration kind of took a step forward, you know, with each passing day and details of what the visit was going to entail. But we were celebrating even at the moment that the announcement was made. And that was, you know, just the Pope. You know, the Pope's a big deal, obviously, the successor to Peter. But all the more, we should be doing that with Jesus, the Lord, who yeah. makes the Pope what the Pope is. You know? Amen. I love that. Well, Father Lewis, believe it or not, we are at the end of our program. Oh, boy. Yeah. And so you don't have so to so much hope. more to share. To yes. To we'll have to wait. <laughs> Uh, But uh, we do pray that uh, you have a blessed feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Pray rosary. Great day to pray rosary. Um, And uh, call upon the patroness of the Americas, Our Lady of Guadalupe. Uh, And even ask St. Juan Diego for some intercession that you will be, in fact, maybe unlike him, a more willing witness, but trusting that the Lord will, in fact, provide all the spiritual support you need to be a fruitful witness for his glory. Thanks so much, Father Lewis. Thank you all for listening. God bless you guys. Join me tomorrow for a special day at Sacred Heart Radio.